This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer and you are listening to the Farmer's Kitchen podcast. A great opportunity to catch up with some of the best in the business. On today's episode, we're taking you to Peru with a brand new restaurant that's opened right here in the UAE. Meeting a chef who has got Russian, Korean, Japanese heritage, so... What makes him an amazing sushi chef? We'll be finding out. Sitting down with a man who is wearing many a hat. He is the man behind the brand new Mot 32, one of the hottest restaurants in Dubai. But he's so much more than that. Uh, Malcolm Wood sharing his thoughts. We were in conversation as well with a vegan blogger, Morale, explaining why she decided to switch to a plant-based diet and offering what's always in her cupboards. And it was Natasha Sedaris, the founder and CEO of Tasha's Group, who's explained some of the best advice she ever got for rising to the top and what we can expect on the food front. I tell you what, it sounds absolutely beachy keen at Bungalow 34. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are taking you all over the world this afternoon and off to Peru now with the head chef of Isai Dubai. It's uh, Luisa Serna del Rosario. It's all about Peruvian Japanese. It's there at the Mac Hills in the Radisson Hotel and open about a month now, Chef Luisa. How are you? Happy New Year. Hello. How are you? Good afternoon. Happy to be here with you. I'm so interested by your heritage, your travels, and of course, what's on the menu um, at Isai as well. Tell us a little bit about Nikkei cuisine. What do we know about its origins? Which which flavors are coming together there? Okay. Uh, Nikkei cuisine now, it's a string, actually, because uh, we are fusion the Japanese techniques, like, for example, in sashimi cuts, you know, which we are fusion with our Peruvian products. We have a lot of products of Peru, uh, like the chilies, for example, I can mention the ají amarillo, rocoto, different kinds of potatoes. Uh, I'm very proud of my country because we have a lot of products. And uh, this is the Nikkei cuisine, by basically, it's the fusion with the Japanese techniques and the Peruvian products. Can I ask then, you grew up in Peru. Tell us a little bit about what you were eating as a child. What were some of the flavors and the smells that take you back to, to uh, growing up? Yes, of course. I studied in Peru for three years in a culinary school. Uh, when I finished my school, I was working in Peru, especially with the Peruvian food. And after that, uh, my first experience out of Peru, of my country, was in Italy. Very different. Yes, very <laughs> different. Uh, then in this time, I start to get uh, more experience about uh, Europe, about uh, all another cultures. Mm-hmm. You know? And of course, I was teaching to another people about my culture as well. And, but isn't that amazing about kitchens, especially here in Dubai, where you've got people coming from all yes. over the world. And we you can, can change you cultures. Can, yeah, exchange knowledge. cultures, share recipes, yes. have meals together, influence each other. Yes, yes. After that, I was traveling around the world in kitchen. Uh, for example, in Qatar, I was working in Chile as well. My last experience was in Montenegro. 
I was part of the opening of the Japanese restaurant, Tapasake Restaurant, in a one and only hotel in so Montenegro. So you're the perfect person coming for <laughs> this with you. your Peruvian training, the Japanese restaurant. You you said it very casually there about going to Italy. You won an award from from your school to go and yes. work in a very impressive Michelin restaurant. Uh, thank Fr- you. From your travels from Milan to Chile, are there any dishes, any people that you will remember forever when, when it comes to you as a chef? Yes, of course. Uh, in uh, our kitchen, we are uh, making our owner food, so we are plasming uh, about our our experience in uh, in different parts of the countries. Uh, actually, in Isay, uh, we have a signature dish uh, that is, for example, and when you go to a normally Japanese restaurant, you can order. Um, a typical role, right? Mm-hmm. Sushi, like sashimi. But here you say we are creating a new dish, like have, uh, it's uh, tacos, for example. It's a more Latin style fusion with the Japanese. You know, it's uh, making with a uh, nori crispy tacos with a very fresh uh, fish. You can choose uh, chicken, vegetables, because we have. Uh, as well, vegetarian options. So it's a lot of. Uh, it sounds options. like you're having fun as well. It sounds like there's lots of experimenting in the kitchen. Yes, if yes. We're, if we're going to go to the restaurant this weekend, can you tell us some of, apart from the tacos, what else should we order? What are some of the big favorite dishes with your customers right now? Uh, the the customers very love the tacos because it's our signature dish, but we have as well ceviche. Ceviche is our special dish from Peru. And we have also anticuchos, a lot of kind of seafood. We have an amazing pulpo. Pulpo is an octopus in Spanish. Oh, so now the yum. people also can uh, learn about our Spanish because we add some uh, Spanish words in our menu. Uh, Chef Luisa, you've bought me a present. What what is in what is in the box that you brought me? You brought me a little. Yes, yes. And I was thinking, uh, is this going to be food? It's not edible. What have you brought us from Isay? <laughs> yes, I bring here to you from Isay from all our staff. Uh, it's a torito de pucara. What is it? It's a symbol of good luck, oh. a good economy, good health, healthy, good life. Oh. So you can. Uh, Good luck, Yes, good luck. Thank you. Well, good luck to you. Restaurants just opened. It sounds absolutely delicious. You are at the helm there at this site. 24th floor, Radisson Hotel, Damak Hills. Yes. And huge congratulations on the opening. Thank you so much. We'll come along and enjoy some tacos very, very soon. You are, uh, and all the people are invited uh, of enjoy of this very nice and lovely restaurant. Please, you need to come to enjoy our uh, decoration. I've never had Nikai cuisine before, and yeah. I think you're going to be the woman to guide me through it. <laughs> Chef Luisa Serna de Rosario, thank you yes. so, so much for being with us this afternoon. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are talking food on the show this afternoon and delighted to welcome to the studio the head sushi chef at Katsia. We've got Pavel Nagai with us this afternoon, a man who speaks many a language because he is, wait for it, Korean, Japanese, Russian. Absolutely fascinating combination. Thank you so much for being with us today. Can I ask them, where did you grow up? <laughs> um, 
for grow up in uh, in my country, you know, like the close to the uh, Moscow city, Vladivostok, and uh, it's very uh, nice place uh, with a lot of uh, seafoods for the, this one. And uh, when I start to work in Japanese restaurants, it's uh, very important to see fresh seafood. The produce. Yes, and uh, it's very important for, for me, you know, like in this city, they show me all this experience with fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, uh, amazing meat, uh, seafoods. It's so close to Japan, yeah. So you got a really good knowledge of produce and, and seasonality really early on in your career, it sounds like. Yeah, my, my father uh, working in the farm, and I help him when I have child, like nine years, eleven years old, and uh, I understand what it means the fresh products, mm-hmm. fresh vegetables, and how they taste. And this is very important for me is to help me for my industry, uh, in the restaurant business. And right now I understand, clarify, you know, like what the best products, what is the low products, mm-hmm. and uh, I can compare and choose. And then have respect for them in how you how you work with them, how you serve them as well. Yes, it's very important to uh, make this step-by-step for the processing of the hygiene, uh, make sure the vegetables is uh, fresh enough mm-hmm. because uh, in my restaurant in Katsuya, I want to provide, you know, like best quality of the products. Uh, and, and with sushi, there's there's nowhere to hide. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's as... It's straightforward as you know, just just being the fish itself. Tell us about training to be a sushi chef because wow. these are some of the sharpest knives around, chef. <laughs> what, what did you have to go through in order to reach reach the level you're at now? Okay, uh, sushi experience and uh, be sushi chef is a very not easy. It's very uh, important to know the knowledge, uh, know this uh, Japanese traditional, mm-hmm. how to prepare, how to the cut, uh, how to handle this one. And uh, for me, it's very important to organize correctly away. Uh, and my old teacher tell me this one when I ask him same questions, you know, like how to be the good sushi chef. He said, like, it's the skills. Uh, sharp your knife and sharp your skills. It's very important. And this is why, you know, like you need to train to provide the best quality mm-hmm. and uh, working with celebrity chefs to find it, you know, like what exactly uh, you know, you need to provide. I like that. Sharpen your knives and sharpen your skills. Repetition. Yes. You know, practice makes progress. And uh, correct. Tell us about the menu then at Katsuya. What are you? What are some of the dishes that you're really proud to serve? Uh, for in Katsuya menu, all dishes is a makes like individual, and uh, preparation is also amazing. How you prepare the fish? Uh, example: yellowtail sashimi jalapeno with little bit spice and sour taste with fresh fish is amazing taste uh, rock shim tempura miso coat is amazing dishes and oh i recommend goodness. this style. you have served some seriously famous people um and i wondered was there anyone that you got really <laughs> starstruck by chef oh this one is a uh, nicholas cage and really? yeah and his family uh, it's for me is Con- uh, connor still a great film <laughs> still stacks up <laughs> Oh, Shaquille O'Neal, you know. Wow. But he can Big eat some shark. sushi. Yeah, he is a huge guy, you know. <laughs> like when I seen a sushi corner him, I said, oh, wow. Oh <laughs> it's totally different. It's still life and people. I've seen The Rock's videos of how much food he eats, how many calories he consumes. You've served Dwayne The Rock Johnson as well. Yes, correct. He really liked sushi. 
sashimi style and uh, <laughs> he liked to eat because he worked out. Yeah. It's mean like <laughs> fuel that body, Dwayne, fuel it. Um I want to hear a little bit about travel because you've worked all over the world. You were there as the head sushi chef in Katsuyu in, in Bahamas before Dubai. But with your heritage, you know, Korea, Russia, Japan, where do you go to for inspiration in cities around the world and which city do you think has the best food? You can say Dubai, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> of course it's Dubai because I'm here. Apart from Dubai. <laughs> but uh, for me, I really like to traveling, mm-hmm. to find it, this experience. It's very important to chef, to growing, you know, like uh, to see what kind of cuisine, you know, like local products and work with them. This one come in new ingredients, new ideas. And uh, this is very important. This is why I travel in Montenegro, Bahamas, Santo Domingo, uh, Moscow, uh, Dubai. Okay, I'm, I'm thinking about Montenegro for the summer holiday, so I'm oh. going to talk to you about that in a minute. Thank you so, so much for coming in and sharing your passion. I have to say, food sounds absolutely amazing. Yellowtail sashimi, miso cod. Thank you so much, Chef Pavel. Really, really appreciate it. And as I said, you are there at Katsuya Thai Dubai. Um, and if you want the details of the restaurant, get in touch. Thank you for making time for us on a Friday. I know you're always incredibly busy, but Friday is a big day in the world of food. Chef Pavel Nagai, head chef, uh, when it comes to all things sushi at Katsuya, in the hot seat for Chef's Table today. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. It is the Foodie Friday show and speaking now with Malcolm Wood who wears many a hat. He is an entrepreneur, an athlete, a father, a filmmaker with a passion for the environment. He's a United Nations mountain hero and a restaurateur as well. One of the men behind Mott 32. It's opened in the Address Beach Hotel JBR. So if you're looking for views and food, it's on the 73rd floor. Welcome to Dubai, Malcolm. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about where you live and what life is like there. Well, I I used to live in Asia um, and um, over the last three years made a transition to Europe. It was um, an easier place to base myself uh, in terms of traveling around the world. COVID times? COVID times. um, More space. And um, I live in the mountains now, which is kind of where I feel the most comfortable. Your Instagram is a thing of absolute beauty if you're a snow lover. Why and how did you start to kind of connect with that side? Um, I was put on skis when I was two. I had a very adventurous father who was into dragging his kids across Africa in little Volkswagen, you know, camper vans and sailing trips um, where we didn't have any GPSs or navigational tools except for a map and we'd be crossing, you know, the Caribbean in hurricanes and things like that. Um, So got exposed to a lot of adventure early on. Wow. Too. There's no fear factor though. My my brother started skiing at four and he would just bomb down. Just no sense of any danger at all. Yeah. No. I mean, it, I'm actually quite fearful of of the heights and free falling. Um, I've seen you jump out of planes. Yeah, but <laughs> it, 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 it's 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 the constant kind of relationship between the fear and managing the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that relationship, and you're playing a game. You're playing a, it's kind of a very high-stake chess game all the time. Has and it changed since becoming a father, how you feel about adventure and risk? It has. Um, actually, the the worst accident I had was two years ago, having changed the principles of what I do to keep extremely safe. 
and um, and I got caught off from a technical um, gear failure, and 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 that's made me even more cautious now mm-hmm. of of being super prepared, double checking all the gear. Um, Can I ask you a practical question? How do you do it all? You know, when we're talking about filmmaking and being an entrepreneur, and obviously being very passionate about the food industry, are you working twenty four seven? And of course, the family as well. Um, I used to work a lot harder. Um, we've got an amazing team. We spent a lot of time building a fantastic network um, of people that believe in the company and mm-hmm. in the vision. Um, partnerships are key to success. Um, we w- Having good partners where you don't have to cross over, where you know he's got your back, if he goes down and handles a company, you don't even need to monitor it. And that, that's kind of been one of my keys to success a big liberation in that yeah in that trust factor let's talk food um now mark 32 has said open now in dubai but this isn't the first outpost it's most famed for hong kong for anyone who's not familiar with the concept can you explain a little bit around the history and i guess perhaps the differences between hong kong in particular and the outpost here in dubai so mark 32 is the amalgamation of the three partners that are uh, involved um in the brand we've all been in sort of hospitality and F&B for a number of years so 25 years each um, no you're not yeah. how is that possible yeah so I opened up our my my first hospitality company with Matt when we were still at school really yeah and um, subsequently I've done 40 different restaurants um, in, in that period of time and Mott 32 is is the amalgamation of all of that knowledge um, in F&B put into one concept. And because of my origins coming out of Asia um, and having a Chinese family, it was something that we wanted to show the world, mm-hmm. which we thought was under-delivered in markets, um, you know, in, 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 in Vegas, North America, um, Europe. Um, the concept actually broke the traditional mold of what Chinese food should be. If you get taken to a restaurant by your Chinese grandmother, she takes it to you because it's famous, it makes one dish, and it's from one region in China. And we like multiple different regions in China, and we like to eat those in one meal. So we did this, um, we did this, this amalgamation of all these different um, cuisines, which they're basically like different countries, into one concept. And we launched it in Hong Kong, um, and it was quite risky because we needed the buy-in of the Chinese people that this is this is acceptable and it's not gimmicky. That's interesting because you, do, you, do you feel like a lot of people feel quite protective over, you know, an authentic dish or where they're from? And I guess that purest frame of mind of going, well, that doesn't belong on the menu next to that. Were you expecting some pushback? Yeah, no, we... we, we for sure, it was the scariest thing that we've ever done. It was the biggest restaurant. It was the biggest investment. It was taking all of these different cultural elements and combining them into one place. And then it was also doing it with a Joyce Wang design. It was her second restaurant at the time. We spent a year designing it, and we wanted to win you know, the best design awards. We wanted the best wine list. We wanted cocktails. We wanted all of these components that you'd had, you hadn't seen in Chinese um, cuisine at, at a top level in Hong Kong before we had bare concrete walls with graffiti on it and we were charging the highest prices in the city um, so it was just we didn't know if it was going to take at the time it was a it was a big risk 
I mean, I don't want to do a spoiler, but it obviously has paid off. What year was that with with the the initial uh, initial branch opening? Yeah, I mean, it's coming up to nine years now, I think. Before I even talk about where else you are, tell me about the name, Malcolm. What's the what's the name about? So, um, Hong Kong is a very transient city. It's obviously been colonized in the past. It's it's very international. Um, it's a shipping hub. It's a it's a transportation hub, and it's it's very. Um, kind of typical of what Chinese people have done around the world um, so Mot 32 is the first convenience store that was set up in 19 in the 19 um, the early 19th century um, in New York City I was going to say because I think I immediately think of Mott Street yeah okay no and it was it was quite funny because um, after a number of years of gaining some very good traction with the press and the media the grandfather the, the, the grandson of the great-great-grandfather who set up that convenience store contacted me and, and thanked me for honouring his family. Can I ask then, why, why Dubai? Why do you feel like this is something that has perhaps been missing from our culinary landscape? Um, well, I, I, don't, I, don't think, um, I don't think there's many concepts like this. Um, it's it's quite complicated it requires a, a, a very big kitchen team a very big space um, and it requires a very good partner so we've partnered with with sunset here in dubai um, and but dubai has always been on the radar it's 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 one of those cities very similar to hong kong very similar to singapore very similar to new york it's it's a have to have location if you've got uh, a brand like this and speaking of location what a spot you yeah. have got 73rd floor views look absolutely amazing can I ask something about recruitment because you can have the you know, the best vision in the world but if you haven't got someone who can execute that to the level that you are happy to put your name and indeed the Mot 32 name on um, how, how have you found your chef your guy or your woman or your team to, to bring this to life in Dubai well again comes down to the partners um, that you work with as, as I was indicating earlier if you have good partners you, um, you, you have less of a task in front of you um, one of the key secrets to what we do is we don't look for people that have experience. We look for people that have a good attitude and a good feeling. And we train those people um, and give them the knowledge. And, and the recruitment process is very, very different in our group. Mm-hmm. Okay. As long as it works. Um, and it can be as different as it likes as long as it translates to the menu. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Talking food this afternoon in the studio now is British Chinese restaurateur, entrepreneur, filmmaker, father Malcolm Wood is with us. He is the co-founder, managing director, culinary director of Maxwell Concepts. And they are behind Mot 32, which has just opened in Dubai on the 73rd floor of the Address Beach Hotel at JBR. Let's talk food. Tell us about um, some of your favourite dishes on the menu. So yeah, it's a very interesting menu because it's pulling from different parts of um, China, Hong Kong, uh, Canton regions, Shanghai uh, and Beijing. The signature in the restaurant is, uh, is the Peking duck. Um, it's, it's actually an incredibly difficult dish to work out how it's done and most of the restaurants that are famous for doing Peking duck keep the secrets of how they prepare it to sign the NDA they take it to the grave (laughs) it was one of the hardest ducks um, the the hardest dishes that I've ever had to do if you um, a chef who who, who I'm good friends with is Heston Bumenthal and he did a series called Search 
of perfection. And the one dish in that series he couldn't pull off was the Peking duck. And he even traveled to Beijing and he met the guys He's there. He's paying off people left, brought, right and center. He brought that back to Bray and he couldn't, work, he couldn't work out how to do it. And so when we set up this restaurant, you know, I knew I wanted Peking duck on the menu. It was, a, it was a, an iconic dish, uh, Chinese dish, and it had to be on Mark 32's menu. Um, so we just went through that whole process. We built a specific fridge, a specific drying system. We found a specific farm. We worked with the farmer to, to feed the ducks, look after them in the right way, um, you know, dress them in the right way, and then deliver that product to us. And it, I don't, it, took, it took us 50 different duck suppliers Become, to work with till we found the ones that we could work with. So it came to pure alchemy and experimentation. It's a 48-hour it, it, process from start to finish before you've even cooked the duck. And so if I want to make a change while I'm here in Dubai, I have to wait two days before I can even get to the point of trying the dish. Um, the other thing is because, you know, we're Westernly trained um, as well as, a, you know, Chinese trained uh, in, in, in the kitchen. We we use um, in, we use techniques, you know. So d- uh, we use apple wood smoking techniques, um, in, in and 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 we've kind of merged those two um, the, the those 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 two processes together to to get a better outcome. Any anything else? If anyone's going to be heading there over the weekend, what's on your must order you ha- list? You have to have the beef char siu. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other thing that's unusual about the restaurant is I love dim sum, but I'm always too busy. Um, to eat at lunch and I normally fast during the day anyway because it keeps keeps me sharp um, and I just always missed out on dim sum in Hong Kong so we put an evening dim sum menu of all of our fla- favorite dim sums um, so that you can go in the evening and have that and that's worked extremely well especially if you know everyone had the same mentality but no one wanted to break the tradition and so this restaurant just breaks all of those Chinese traditions while being very respectful to tradition uh, in terms of recipes. What about the decor? As we said, if you can tear your eyes away from the views, you're talking about the importance of the aesthetic in the initial outpost of Mot 32. How is that translated to Dubai? Or are you taking a completely different look when it comes to, to its look? I, I always look at a restaurant um, and say that it needs to be successful without the view. And if you took away that view, that restaurant would still be successful because we put so much love and effort and time into designing it. Um, and you can argue that actually you wouldn't need to have done the level of effort and consistency with all of the other brands. We take the hardest spaces in the city and we make them successful. So we're in a basement in a, in a huge space in Hong Kong where no other restaurateur risked or would want to dare to do a product. And we created a product and an experience and an illusion and a story for those people to come, you know, three flights of stairs down a narrow um, passageway. And we get 600 people through the restaurant every day. Every day, And they walk down a staircase that no one said that you'd be able to get 600 people in. Um, you, 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 you add this amazing view that we have here in Dubai. And, you know, it... it um, I had a little bit of a moment in the restaurant the, the, when I first got there and I first you know, experienced and the lights went down and the food came in and the restaurant was full and it was just, it was a, it was a beautiful experience. Magic. What's next for you? I'm about to launch a new film called The White Mountain. Tell me more. The White Mountain um, was filmed in Chamonix during COVID. Um, I just did a film called The Last Glaciers with IMAX and it was the most comprehensive movie. It wasn't supposed to be but we ended up 
becoming the most comprehensive um, movie made about the relationship between glaciers and the atmosphere and climate change. And uh, that took four years, every continent around the world. We went to Antarctica. Um, and so that launched recently with IMAX. And um, I got home, made Chamonix my home uh, over COVID. And this mountain that just sits outside of my house, the White Mountain, Mont Blanc, was inspiring me every day. And it inspires everyone in that place. And it's being destroyed by the warming planet the Mm -hmm. glaciers are falling it's becoming more dangerous we're losing friends to the mountain um and people were asking me why do you still want to live in a place that is being destroyed is becoming more dangerous is in taking lives and friends away from you and why are you risking that to be here and i wanted to make a film to explain what it is that's going on psychologically in my head to be able to continue to take risks you know despite having a family despite you know, but, having loved but, ones. But and if there aren't friends. people like you who are shining a, a light on an issue, then everyone just turns their back and walks away, and then what? There's the issue of of the mountain being destroyed, and and but if you can't explain why we have a connection to nature, then there's no need, there's no reason to save it. Mm-hmm. So the film is supposed to explain this lost connection we have with nature and why it's so important to save the environment. There's something about mountains. I feel like every mountain has a soul or a spirit and it's got something to teach you. Yeah. How do you feel about Mont Blanc in that sense? What's it been, to, what's it been teaching you? I, th- I think Mont Blanc just is, is an icon in, in terms of having shown that throughout history. Um, but it's all within us. We all have this connection to nature. It's just that we've forgotten it as a human species. It's quite difficult to explain because it's, it's mystical, it's magical, it's something that allures you um, that you don't really necessarily understand till you till you get into that environment Mm -hmm. you forge unbelievable friendships in that environment you form the closest bonds you have the most intense moments and that's what that film is supposed to do for anyone who wants to check it out Malcolm what's the best way of tracking uh, you down of course you're on Instagram but Mot32 is there in Dubai and if anyone wants to see the movie how can we find out more it's it's launching next year it's thewhitemountainfilm.com well, thank you so much. You're an incredibly busy man and really appreciate your time here in Dubai. Here for the launch, as we said, Mot32 now at JBR, and it sounds absolutely incredible. Congratulations to you and the whole team. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. We love introducing you to the chefs, and today it's actually a plant-based food content creator. Mira Jaburi is with us today. She is a certified holistic nutritionist as well, and after 10 years uh, working in corporate PR. She switched gears, found her passion and has gone on to become a chopped champion. You can follow her at underscore from the ground for recipes and ideas. I've got so many questions about chopped. I'm such a fan. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I want to start with a little bit about your decision to go plant based because a lot of people I'm speaking to are resolving to eat less meat, be a bit more flexitarian in 2023, often for health reasons. So what was it? And I guess when was it for you, Morel? So that's exactly it. Um, I, it all began in the peak of the doom and gloom of Corona, to be honest. We were in lockdown. I was in a very negative space. It was, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty going on in the world. So at some point I said, you know, okay, let me redirect my energy towards something positive and learn something. And my sister had actually recommended a book at the time called How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger. That's a good title. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. So I decided to read it and it really resonated. Um, it kind of talks about the top causes of death and it also explains and how diet and lifestyle kind of contribute to that. 
and it talks then it, it explains about you know what a plant-based diet is and and all of that and so I thought I'll give it a shot I tried it out for a month I had set a you know a timeline of a month and see how I felt I felt amazing I constantly experienced um, bloating like chronic bloating and um, that subsided in a matter of no time um, and I felt a boost of energy and it just really felt good and I just didn't really you know set out for it that. It suited you. It, it really like. did. It really did. Yes. It also sounds like you did your research. Which I did my research. A lot of people, and I'm not naming names or pointing <laughs> any fingers, especially this time of year, just go, and now I'm vegan. And yeah. go, okay, yeah. I, I can, yeah. and now I'm just going to eat chips. I mean, that's such a good, <laughs> important point that you bring up because uh, the thing is that it's it's a lot of people tend to kind of eliminate certain things from their diet, but you really got to do your research a bit and kind of do it um in a way where you're prepared so you don't set yourself up for failure, really. Mm-hmm. It's important what you don't eat, but also equally important what you do eat. Um, and I think that's where, like, the missing link sometimes happens with some people that end up, unfortunately, kind of, you know, not experiencing the benefits or... or well, that's exactly it. You know, we think about being plant-based, being healthy, but that means you've got to make those healthy choices absolutely, with, within that. Absolutely. So can you kind of talk us through what you might eat on a typical day? Uh, um I eat everything. <laughs> There's so much. Um, honestly, I like on a typical day. I'll um, I usually have very light breakfast, if 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 at all. But usually after I, I usually work out in the morning, so I'll have a shake um, and pack it with like blueberries and a whole lot of nutrients as well. And for lunch, it's usually stew because I'm you know we're a Middle Eastern, so stew is a very big part of our culture, amongst other things. Um, and instead of rice, I either have rye rice or Perhaps one of the other whole grains like burgul, frika, uh, quinoa, all that. And then for dinner, usually it's a salad. Um, and for snacks, I'll have like a hummus dip with veggies or like make protein balls or muffins or biscuits. But all obviously, you know, just with ingredients that are like they're fueling your body, really. Mm-hmm. Your Instagram and TikTok is a fantastic resource for anyone that's looking for some inspiration, whether they want to go fully plant-based or just, as you kind of say, making some some swaps there. What are yes. some of the recipes that have really resonated with followers? Because you've got some huge views on some of them. I, um, I would say viral on definitely a couple. Um, thank you. I think, honestly, it's, it's you know, social media is so funny. You don't know what to expect. You put a lot of work into a certain uh, recipe and you think this is going to be it. And then some of the other recipes really surprise you. Um, I think one video that did really well was overnight oats. So I think that was a really easy, practical kind of recipe, you know, breakfast recipe. Um, I, I, a lot of my veganized Middle Eastern dishes, so that's something that I really try to focus on as well is kind of bridge the gap between traditional food and being able to eat mm-hmm. with, for a moderate way for health. So veganizing a lot of the Middle Eastern dishes like um, sechan, which is a dish where I used jackfruit instead of um, shredded chicken. Um, yeah, and just a, lo- a lot of these ones, I think the veganized dishes have uh, Middle Eastern dishes get, you know, a lot of, attract a lot of attention. <laughs> I, want to, I want to talk chopped. How did the opportunity come about, Murat? Oh, that was something there. Um, I got I got approached on Instagram, actually. The team reached out to me and they said, you know, we're, we're interested in, um, you know, would you be interested in be, being part of Chopped Arabia? And I said, yes. And then from there, there was an audition process where I had to submit a video um, and also fill out like a questionnaire and also do a, a, a phone interview. Um, and yeah, and then I was selected and, you know. Took it from there. <laughs> you, you sound so modest. Took it from there. Went oh. on to do incredibly well. What did you make on the show? Can you give us some of the highlights? 
Uh, so I had to actually cook with, so, you know, the show for anybody who doesn't know, there's four secret ingredients in the basket in every uh, round. Um, and yeah, so you had to work with secret ingredients that you don't know, a, pan, a kitchen and a pantry that you're not familiar with. You're up against three other contestants that you have no idea who they are. So like every surprise element was there and you have a time limit so for the you know the 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 appetizer was you only had 20 minutes to whip up uh can you remember what was in the basket yeah so for uh so for the appetizer we had clams so i could also cook also with animal products so i had clams cheese um meringue and um uh what was oh it was uh, ginger paste okay what did you do so i made a, a asian uh clam salad and yeah, and I had to, I kind of like, you know, did some roasted vegetables, some, you know, uh, raw vegetables, uh, sauteed the clams. And that's another thing. Oh, sorry. I did it for also mention that obviously now I haven't cooked in with animal products for over two to three years at that point. Um, so I had to kind of, you know, bring everything that I remember. Was it a steak for the main course? No, oh, it was okay, a steak. It was actually goodness. duck. Oh, crikey. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't stop you, though. It didn't. It obviously it didn't. And, you know, it's funny because that was, that was, you know, obviously one of the things I was like, should I even do that? You know, should I even participate? Obviously, that's something that, you know, to consider. But, um, yeah, I, yeah, I made um, uh, um, a burrito. I made a, a duck burrito for uh, the main. And then... For the dessert, again, you're getting always sweet and salty ingredients in all rounds to kind of add the twist. Um, and I made a nut-based uh, crust uh, tart with a filling, um, with a sweet filling. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations on being a Trump champion. Well, thank um, you very I much. I want to pick your brains on Veganuary, which is a lot of people's yes. kind of intention, maybe for this month and maybe moving forward as well. Um, and maybe, as I said, not going fully vegan for 2023, but hopefully yes. carrying through some habits and some swaps. Yes. Um, what are some of the things that you always have in your fridge or your cupboards to help you be, as, you know, be plant-based? Okay, so um, I have, I definitely have a whole lot of staples, uh, including uh, oats, because oats is not only great as an ingredient for breakfast, but you make oat flour and you can make all these super healthy um, baked goods. Um, bananas are great um, um, to, to as, a, as an ingredient even for baking as well, as a, subs- a healthier substitute. Um, nut butters as an oil substitute in baking. Um, dates, so dates I sweeten with um, like almost all of my all my desserts um, with dates, the fruit or even date syrup. Um, yeah, and beans. So I always kind of either have cans, you know, for to use or make batch make and freeze. Uh, sounds, you know, like a, sounds like a chopped, chopped <laughs> basket. Um, lastly, we're getting some great recommendations in on the text line where people are going this weekend and some of their favourites. So I wondered where you like to go for the best plant-based food in Dubai. Are there any kind of dedicated vegan cafes or do you, do you try to go places you know, with family and friends and, and find some good dishes on any menu? Um, so I definitely, for the most part, go to just whatever restaurant the whole family wants to go or friends want to go to and I, oh I've never had an issue I've always managed to work around uh, the menu and honestly in Dubai I have to say the options are incredible like you go to Maine and you'll find a, another separate menu of plant-based um, you know dishes that, that they cauliflower offer. is excellent oh, at Maine yes. <laughs> where else do you recommend oh my goodness there's so many I mean I honestly I we, like I don't specifically go anywhere just for the food because I always manage to get good food and plant-based food. But 
um, recently, I guess I've gone to Coco Bay. I've gone to... Oh there's, a, there's, a, there's an Instagram, there's a reel in this, Morel, I'm saying there, there is a reel in this. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've run out of time. I'm, I really wish we had a bit longer, but thank you so, so much for coming in and sharing your passion. For anyone that does want to follow you and check out those recipes, those recommendations, um, what's the best way of getting in touch? Uh, Instagram and TikTok, I think, are probably the best ways. Um, yeah, yeah, underscore from the ground. If you want that link, by all means, drop me a little message on 4001. Have a lovely weekend ahead. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Morel speaking to us from from the ground if you do want that just send me the word ground because <laughs> it's friday afternoon let's keep it simple and i will send that your way farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 she is the woman behind some of dubai's favorite eateries from casual cafe tashes to the Instagram dream made real Flamingo Room, Greek Glamour at Avli, the Starlit Bar at Galaxy, and now Bungalow 34, a brand new beach concept opening next week. Welcome, Natasha Steris with us, founder and CEO of the Tasha's Group. I know it feels like well, it's 13th of January, but Happy New Year. How are you? Thank you, and Happy New Year to you. I'm great. Now, you a little are, bit tired. Little, I was just about to say, <laughs> hospitality doesn't yep. rest. And when a lot of people are having a lovely, you know, Christmas or holiday break, you guys are the ones that are working so hard Correct. to make sure that we're having a lovely time. So I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who works in hospitality for <laughs> the, the unsung heroes so often. So New Year, new restaurant. Yeah. <gasps> Tell us about Bungalow 34. So uh, it's been sort of eight months in the making. You say it, that. Is that normal? I've no, no idea how, um, how long these things normally take. A new brand can take anything up to a year to, to develop. I think this one's gone quite quickly. I've had it in my mind for the last two years, but really only started the last eight months on, on really pinning all the little details down. Mm-hmm. we underneath the Nikki Beach residences on the Pearl Island. Ooh. So as you enter the hotel, we're on the left-hand side, mm-hmm. nice and convenient. Drive your car up to the valet, get out of your car. You don't have to walk through a lobby and you're in the restaurant. <laughs> That's so, such a Dubai thing to say. Yeah. Because when I first moved to Dubai, that was like, that was the buzzkill. You'd go out to a restaurant, have a lovely time, and next thing you know, you're in the bright lights of a lobby. Exactly. And you're like, oh, that, that, that warm and fuzzy feeling has just completely disappeared. Yeah. So you're kind of establishing that experience from, from the get-go. So, I mean, quite a challenging location because it is a little bit off the beaten track. And I know a lot of the actions happening on, on, on the other side. But we just felt that we also wanted to give people a, a chance to feel like they had moved a little bit out of Dubai. It's got an unobstructed views over the beach. I mean, it's absolutely spectacular. And we also stand alone mm-hmm. just underneath the residences. And so if you just drive a little bit further along, you're going to get this experience of feeling completely just away from everything. I, I love the branding, by the way. Thank you very it's much. so beautiful. The photos yeah. I've seen look stunning. You've got this kind of, I want, I want to say like kind of Portofino, orange, striped yeah. breakfast. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Thank how, you. How do you even begin to build a brand, Natasha? Where do um, you start? So obviously I'm surrounded by amazing people. Just talking about the branding, uh, same branding agency that we've been using since I started AM Branding, who also happened to be very close friends of mine. Um, so they, they did the logo and, and, the, and the color palette, and we worked on that together. And then, of course, I've got a, a, an amazing, talented team. And most of my team have been with me, I think, the, the shortest period is six years. Other people have been with me 10, 15, so 16 years. So the they, they understand what I want. Mm-hmm. And then when we start to develop the brand, we, we start with the concept. And the concept comes from a place that I love in Greece. It's actually called Bungalow 34. It's my little hideaway. And oh, when I saw the lo- it's real. So when I saw the location, it just gave me that exact same feeling. Just overlooking the water, the shape of the of the restaurant feels like a little bungalow on the beach. 
So we started developing developing the concept and then also took some inspiration from a restaurant that I've been going to for the last 30, 30 years in, in South Africa uh, in Cape Town called La Perla. You know, it's got that very old school feeling. Um, drew some of the inspiration from there. Um, I wanted to recreate that feeling of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, when I'm developing concepts, they've got to feel authentic to me. So I am Greek, so I've at least got the Greek heritage. I am South African. You know, we've got we've got Flamingo Room. And this one also, there's a, a direct link. Um, I think that's important when you're creating a concept because if it's too far removed, mm-hmm. it's going to feel in, uh, unauthentic. Yeah, it's going to feel like a kind of pastiche of something. Um, exactly. And, yeah, it's kind of ticking some boxes, but the soul isn't going to be there. Exactly. So we're talking Greek Beach, holiday vibes. What about the food? Make us hungry. So the food's very Mediterranean. Breakfast, lunch and dinner, which I also think is quite unusual for a beach location. I don't think there's many places where you can go and pull up your car, get out of the car and have breakfast on the beach. Mm -hmm. So we're doing some amazing breakfast. We've got, uh, wow, now you've caught me. I know, come on. Because I've just left the restaurant. (laughs) Uh, God, we're doing an amazing sunrise breakfast, which is a mixture of pineapple and pawpaw and we've done a, 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 a light yogurt um, on the egg side we've got a souffle omelette with four cheeses oh, and some oh, fresh oh. vegetables we've got an amazing lobster benedict uh, quite a focused breakfast menu so not really really big mm-hmm. but we've got everything from grains to something from the bakery and uh, fruits and of course the egg side take us through the through the day so take you through the day and then we ease into lunch or so breakfast is until eleven thirty. short break Going into lunchtime, lunch and dinner menu the same. Big focus on seafood. Makes sense. We're on the water. We've got a great fish display. An amazing young man who's handling all the fish. Uh, One of the most fantastic dishes, I would say, is the Ilias Trio. So you choose the size of fish from the display, and we do it in three ways. We do it in a ceviche, a carpaccio, and a tartare. And then the fish comes back to the table so you can see it's all been made on order. There's nowhere to hide with that. Exactly. You've got to really know Uh, your stuff. Then I'd say the calcio pepe. Uh, with um, carpaccio is fantastic. So we take a carpaccio and then we put a calcio pepe, warm so cold carpaccio, warm calcio pepe on top of it, and mix it together. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, we're doing a great pasta genovese. Um, so a lot of Italian influence, but then a lot of Greek influence on the grilled fish and and, and the seafood. Oh, it sounds amazing. Audio yeah. message going, what's the name and when is it opening? <laughs> Bungalow 34, as we said, is going to be there at Nikki Beach in the, in the residence area. Um, when are you opening? What's the countdown? Next on? week, Tuesday. Tuesday. Tuesday's yeah. the day. Tuesday's the day. Open from 9am. Okay, get, get along for your breakfast. We've got Natasha Sedaris with us. She's the founder and CEO of the Tasha's Group. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I-103. We are talking now to Natasha Sedera. She is the founder, CEO of Tasha's Group, women responsible for the likes of course, Tasha's, Flamingo Room, Avli, Galaxy Bar, and now Bungalow 34. It's opening there at the uh, fantastic Nikki Beach residence area. Um, and I have to say, it sounds absolutely incredible. A little bit Greek, a little bit Italian, a lot of Mediterranean and some food, food, food. Now, we were talking off air then about basically how amazing your staff are. Thank you. And I know this sounds like a really odd observation but I'm always completely blown away by them I go in and it's like it's real customer service which we're very lucky in Dubai in that we're very spoiled by having you know good people around us but there's something about your staff that are just a cut above and I wondered if one you recognize that and two why you think that is so we definitely recognize it I always say that we're only as strong as our staff Um, focus a lot on training a lot on recruitment 
and not necessarily a lot on experience. What we like to do is hire for hospitality. And if we feel that someone's got hospitality sort of inbred inside them, and you can see it just from a first interview, you have to ask a couple of questions, then we like to nurture talent. In fact, mm-hmm. I would say 70% of the staff don't come from hospitality backgrounds, and we've taught them along the way. We've got staff uh, that have been with me, Precious from Tasha's Galleria. I mean, I speak about her a lot. She started as a scullery in South Africa. She's now the general manager of Tasha's Galleria. But I think, so, I think you made a good distinction there between service and hospitality. It, that's the big difference. And I think that there can be a robotic-style service that's mm-hmm. been trained out of a manual, and then there's something that comes innately from the human being uh, where you want to love the customer. And, and that's, that's, that's hospitality. And you can have the best food in the world, but if you've got a server who doesn't really care... Exactly. They have the power to set the tone for the whole evening. 100%. They really, really do. And then, of course, I think another big thing, Helen, is is promotions internally. So instead of looking outwards, I know there's a a rule that people follow, a corporate rule that says you've got to hire a certain percentage from outside and then, you know, sort of promote from within. We like to really promote from within so people understand that there's growth opportunities. Mm. And I think that makes a big difference. Keep the good ones. You've got. You've been offering up some amazing advice to anyone in the in the business. What was the best bit of advice you've been given about working in hospitality and in, in food and drink? Oh wow, so much! But I would say for anyone getting involved in hospitality, they've got to understand that it's a game of repetition. Can be extremely frustrating, and if you are an individual who doesn't want to have to repeat things, mm-hmm. I would suggest that you don't get into hospitality. Doesn't matter. I mean, I've just we opened our. This is my like fortieth restaurant that I'm opening. All the growing pains, all the teething problems. Here they are again. It's going to be a challenge. We're doing dry runs next week when we open. Food's going to be slow. Service is not going to be great. Doesn't matter how many times you do it. So I think the best piece of advice would be accepting mm-hmm. that it is a challenging industry mm-hmm. and knowing that you're going to have good days and bad days. Thank you for that honesty. Yeah. I think it's really, I think it's, it's really important because we've got a lot of people going into industry going, well, I love food, so obviously this it is going to work. A tough game. <laughs> You've got to be sure you want to do it. It's tough. But I think also you, I mean, absolute definition of hands-on. I mean, you are here, there, and everywhere. My team, I think my team are saying I'm too hands-on. They want me to go away. <laughs> Just leave her. But I think they're happy to- that I'm here. I said, guys, I'm leaving. I'll be back in an hour and a half. Like, go, 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 go. And we won't be listening to you to get a break. <laughs> exactly. But stickler to detail, I've heard. I am a stickler for detail. It pays off, though. It pays off in spades. Thank you. So where's next? Because you're never one. I mean, we haven't even opened Bungalow 34 yeah. yet. But I know you're already planning global. So the next one is Flamingo Room Collective and African Lounge in Saudi Arabia, all housed in, in one uh, a building in the Diria development, that new one that's opening, which I think is going to be really exciting. Actually, some of the restaurants have already opened. Uh, just unbelievable, unbelievable um, development, completely full of nature in, in a heritage site. So UNESCO oh, heritage site. Uh, then we're doing a similar concept with four, four different concepts housed in one building in Abu Dhabi um, on Almara Island. So it's a collective again, which is our boutique, which is actually we've also got one in Bangalore. So it's collective, African lounge, uh, flamingo room, and another secret bar called Pelage. Then we're off to London. We're opening Tasha's in London. First foray into London, going very cautiously. It is a challenging market, so we're just going to open one, get it right, give good service, great food, and mm-hmm. hopefully it works and we'll open a few more. Uh, then we've got Nala coming, which we've been talking about a lot, but we've had some delays there, so that's happening what's, August, September. What and where is Nala? So Nala's in al and it's going to be um, housed in the building where our academy and training center and offices are going to be. Uh, 
you know, tiny little space, 80 square meters, quick service, fast food, but you're going to be getting Tasha's quality food in under 12 minutes. Whoa. Also made on order. Is this because we're all really short on time at the moment? We're all really short on time. <laughs> and the idea is to, I think a lot of fast foods focus on pre-made and we are going to challenge ourselves with trying to make fast food, but just on order. And a, quite a big focus on African flavors. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Coming back to bungalow. Mm. Um, in fact, actually, actually, that's not true. I want to know across... All of the concepts. Yeah. If we're going to go to Avli, Tasha's, this weekend, what should we be ordering? Okay. So at this is where you've got to pick favourites. At Avli, you've got to order the Yuvetsi. Which is? Which is Kritharaki, which is your orzo pasta with a slow-cooked lamb. Mm. And normally it gets baked in the oven. Ours is a twist on it. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, at Tasha's, I love the Parmesan couscous salad. I think it's great with the broccoli. Do you know what? My problem in Tasha is I always end up ordering the same thing. Always have, <laughs> I, I always have the salmon with the black rice okay. and the pickled cucumber yeah. and, and the I just always do and I never regret it. And I'm a like, lot of people have got their favourites. Try and take a dish off the menu, which we've done a few times. I've gotten emails. Backlash. Why did you take my dish off? Okay, which brings me to Flamingo Room. If yeah. you ever, ever, you know what I'm going to say, calamari, yeah. the... Um, Calamari Mozambique. So we've got a we've got a twist on the calamari Mozambique. You at Bangalore thirty four. We've got a, a we've got a prawn bazaruta. Similar, it's similar still taste profile. My mouth water. Yeah, it's going to make your mouth water. Oh my similar taste profile. Now, I um, I did ask one of your amazing team, Jill, recently, who's your culinary director, I believe, yeah. about the secret sauce of the calamari Mozambique, yeah. and she explained it so well. And it is an absolutely iconic dish Thank here you. in Dubai. Thank you. Tell us a bit, a little bit about the origins of that before I let you okay, get back so, to bungalow. So my dad is uh, or was a Mozambican Greek. And it's a mixture of the piri-piri flavors mm. with a little bit of that lemony tang, which makes your mouth water. And it's actually one of my dad's recipes and, and evolved from, from there. He'd be very proud indeed. Thank you. Thank you so much for making time for us. I, I mean, you are incredibly busy Thank all so day, much. every day, but a Friday, I know, especially. Going back to Illinois, my staff. Are you going back down to uh, Bangalore 34? Going back to Bangalore 34. Opening Tuesday, 9 a.m., breakfast, lunch and dinner. Beach vibes. The, I mean, I have to say, I know it's not all about the Instagram, but my goodness, it is beautiful. Thank you very much. So, all the very best to you and the team. Thank you. Going to come Thank down, you, do some shopping, do some eating. Brilliant. Have, have a good one. Thank Natasha you. Sadeiris joining us this afternoon, CEO and founder of Tasha's Group. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai I 103.8. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.